Hello and welcome to Cats Out of the Bag. I'm Kat Hennessy and in this podcast, nothing is off limits. Hello, angels, and welcome back to another week of Cats Out of the Bag. Today, I have one of my gorgeous friends coming on, Flick Palmatia. She is a pro surfer and was just in the most recent season of Survivor. So we have so many amazing topics I'm going to discuss with her today. Thank you, everyone, for sending in all your questions. And let's bloody bring her in. Welcome, Flick. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally catch up with you. I feel like it's been way too long. I know. I know. We we were just discussing um, the last time we caught up and we figured out it was like quite a few years ago. So, that's kind of sickening. So, I'm glad we get like a, a good like 45 minutes to an hour to have a proper, a proper ca- catch up right now. Just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the last time we caught up, we were having drinks at Justin Lane in Burley when yeah. I used to live on the East Coast and now live in Western Australia. So that was a long time ago. I know. Well, <laughs> soon enough, borders will be open and we'll be having mm. a cocktail very soon, which I'm fucking keen for. So, yeah, can't wait. Um, so, you obviously know this, but I start off all of my podcasts by asking <laughs> my guests, what is something that no one knows about you? So... I had a little think about this and I was just, it's one of those questions that really stops you in your tracks. And I was like, shit, what does someone not know about me? I was like, what's the one thing? And I haven't really ever spoken about it, but I actually have asthma and being a big wave surfer, you obviously need to hold your breath um, for a long period of time. So the two don't really go hand in hand. And I think a lot of people will be like, what? She's as big waves, but she's got asthma. Uh, yeah, so I got diagnosed when I was like six years old. I remember I had a really bad asthma attack. I was going blue and my parents walked in on into me, uh, walked in on a room in me. Ah, start again. They walked um, in uh, a room and they saw me and I was like blue. And they're like, oh, my God. And they rushed me to the hospital. Luckily, we live really close to the hospital. And that's when I got diagnosed with asthma. And since then, I've like struggled with it pretty much my whole life. And surfing and swimming helped immensely but um yeah it's something that I still deal with probably every day so yeah it's funny considering the career path I chose as big wave surfing wow that's pretty full-on so like having asthma how did you because how long would you if you're going on a big wave like Mm -hmm. what's the longest you've had to hold your breath for um, the longest that I've had to hold my breath for, poof, I don't know, I think there's a misconception that, you know, you are under for a really long time when you're surfing big waves, if you get a really bad wipeout that you're held under for a long time. And, you know, sometimes the hold downs are long, but sometimes they're quite short. The thing is, is that it's your heightened heart rate that makes everything a lot harder. Uh, you think about like trying to make decisions when you've got a heightened heart rate or trying to make decisions under pressure, things become harder. Um, Mm. And so I think like probably the worst hold downs like in big wave surfing um, are probably like 42 seconds and guys have come up almost like died, have been bleeding from the eyeballs, bleeding from the ears and like that's really, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because so when you're surfing big waves, um, obviously there's a lot of power in the ocean there's a lot of movement and um these waves have come from so far away these swells and when they finally break there's so much power there that the wave has can just and so much force that it can just push you so quickly so far down in the ocean and because of that you can um your eardrums will explode um or perforate so that's why people come up they've got bleeding eardrums but that's like some of the longer hold downs that I've heard about, and that's about 42 seconds. But I guarantee you right now that we could both sit here and do a static breath hold and probably hold our breath for 40 seconds. No dramas, right? But the thing mm. that changes is that, is that when you're out in the water, you obviously you're in a, such an intense environment and you have to hold your breath with a heightened heart rate and that just makes things so difficult. So I think some of my worst wipeouts, yeah, I've had really bad ones. I've been hit in the head by my board you know, that becomes dangerous because you can, you know, you can be knocked unconscious. But, like, some of the big wipeouts that I've had have probably only been 10 to 15 seconds, and that was at Jaws um, on uh, Maui in Hawaii, and that's probably one of the biggest, uh, like, well-known 
big wave spots in the world. So, yeah, there's a misconception that they're really long and some are, but they're a lot shorter than what you think. But um, I would just add in, you, you, I, when I train, though, because when I'm, like, training um, to surf big waves and I'm, like, in season, you know, I'm doing breath enhancement training and I'm training for to make sure that I can do a two-minute breath hold, no worries, because you just – yeah, you want to be prepared yeah. for the worst. I remember this. I remember years ago I'd be like, hey, like, do you want to hang out? You're like, I'm just doing my breath training. Like how often <laughs> would you have to do that? Um, so when uh, when I was training and competing full time, so a little bit of an insight onto what's happened to me recently. Um, so I turned pro when I was 17. Well, I started when I was mm-hmm. six, then started competing when I was 12 turned pro at 17 and competed all the way from 17 to probably 24 on the short board, like, you know, world tour and qualifying series. So I had a really successful junior career. And then I, um, and then when I was about 24, I kind of fell out of love with surfing and I wanted to do something that was going to like make me fall in love with surfing again. And I was like, okay, um, I just want to surf big waves and like feel that adrenaline again and do something that's going to make me fall back in love with surfing because um, you know, you like I have. I honestly have the best job in the world, but um, you do anything too much, and you know it starts to feel like a job. And there's so much sacrifice. You speak to any professional athlete. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of dedication um, that comes with doing that. You know, it's not an easy path. It's an amazing one if you can be successful at it, but it's not easy. And so when I um up until yeah 24, I was like shortboarding. I still shortboard now, like all the time. But then is I transitioned. Just, is onto- that just small waves? Well, it's not small waves, but it's basically shortboarding is um, like high performance surfing. So you've got yeah, yeah, your shortboards, which you've got like usually people will surf them with three fins, which is called a thruster, and then you've got your big wave surfing, and that's like the biggest waves in the world. Um, and they're the ones that you look at and you're like, holy fuck, that's a big wave. Um, and the person looks tiny when they're serving it. So yeah, so when I was 24, I was like, I want to do something that's going to make me feel alive again. And then, yeah, I had, um, some success surfing big waves and, um, I did that up until like literally a year and a half ago and then COVID hit. And since then I haven't been able to compete. So lately my training schedule now looks a lot different to what it used to look like. But when I was like in competing full time I would you know every day I'd be dedicating towards my job in some way and um because I use my body for my job it's all about like you know strength and conditioning surfing breath enhancement training and I would be doing that twice a week strengthening and conditioning twice a week surfing every day if there was ever a big swell I would fly to that place in Australia and surf it like um would you? And it doesn't really allow you much time yeah 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 so how big wave surfing works is that um, like a weather forecast, you have a surf forecast and you can forecast swells from about one to two weeks out in advance. And, um, you know, there's all di- uh, different big wave spots around Australia. Um, Margaret River, where I live now, has a lot of them. And um, so you see a big swell from about a week out on this swell forecast website. Like, okay, in a week's time, I'm going to fly to WA I'm going to be over there ready with the jet ski with my with my team because big wave surfing requires a team of people. You can't just really go and do it by yourself just because of the safety aspect. You always need people in the water mm. looking out for you because it is so dangerous. Like it's life and death. And if you make the wrong decision and if you don't have a good safety team, like think you could get up shit creek real quick. So yeah, you fly. Dude, that trail. is so <laughs> fucked. Like I just <laughs> cannot think of anything worse than sur- <laughs> surfing a big wave like I'm I'm honestly you would laugh I feel like we have been to the beach together I'm pathetic I literally go like knee deep and I like sit down because I'm so terrified of waves like <laughs> no uh, yeah I think um so yeah you fly into swells and stuff but I think when uh and then you surf the swell for a couple of days however long it lasts, probably, usually the swell will be only at its biggest for one day. Swells don't just, can, you know, it's pretty rare to get lots of swells back to back like that of that kind of size where it's about 20 to 30 foot. Like it's those uh, swell occurrences don't happen all the time. Um, so that's why you've got to make the most of it when it does happen. 
Um, but for me, big wave surfing, like I got into it because of where I grew up. Like I'm originally from Western Australia. I live back here now. Um, but Western Australia is known for its bigger, more powerful surf. And uh, my dad's a surfer and he got me into it when I was about six. Like, I, um, yeah. And he literally, when I was so young, would be, I don't know, it's like he was really good at pushing me but almost maybe pushed me too much, you know. I remember there was mm. times when I would be like 10 years old and it would be massive surf, like 10 years old and it would be 10 foot and that's big waves. That's like like two-storey, three-storey, like two-storey building and I'm 10 years old and I was like, Dad right. would be dragging me out like, like, come on, you can do this. And I'd be like, I don't want to do it. Um, But, you know, in the now looking back, I I thank him for that because, like, obviously I've had so much success, like, in my big wave surfing career. But um, at the time I was like, what the fuck, Dad? And, um, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) you know, now, now I thank him for it. And now I think, obviously, I am the way I am, like, because of surfing. It's shaped me into the person I am. It's, it's allowed me to make decisions under pressure to you know mm. have this beautiful relationship and connection with nature it's it, it's in so many ways it's it's shaped me into the person I am today and how I deal with pressure and I am thankful for that but fuck when I was younger I was looking back on times and I'd be like wow like my dad was gnarly or he really pushed me really hard <laughs> yeah fuck so do you think that like once everything from COVID settles, you'll continue with big wave surfing professionally? I would really like to. Mm. The The thing is, is that being a woman and being a professional sports person um, is different to being a guy. Like guys don't have an internal clock ticking inside of them. And I have a mm. partner who, and we both really would like to try and have kids. So, um, you know, it's a hard decision to try and make. Like, I would love to get the another opportunity to compete on the Big Wave World Tour because my current ranking now is number two in the world and I've held that since 2019. But I lost by 0.04 to being, like, world champion. So I feel like I have unfinished business there and I would love the opportunity to have another crack at it again. Um, what the fuck? I but- didn't know you were number two in the world, babe. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. Like that's actually <laughs> fucked up. I had no idea. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm number two big wave surfer in the world. Like, sorry. That's yeah. fucked. What what do you what's the biggest wave you've surfed? Uh the biggest well, I actually currently hold the record for the biggest wave ever surfed by an Australian female. Um really? and yeah, all these things you're learning about me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was actually here in Western Australia back in 2015. Um, I'll give you a tiny little bit of insight onto how this happened. So when I was 12 years old, my hero and idol was Lane Beachley. Do you know who that is? Um, no. <laughs> She's like, okay, so... So I think like some listeners will know who she is, but she's like, I can't get this wrong because she would kill me, but I think she's like seven or eight times world champion. So she's like, she's pretty much like a household name. If you've got, if you know anything like semi about surfing, you would know who Lane Beachley is, but she was my idol growing up and she had held the record for the biggest wave surfed by an Australian female. So when I was 12, I, uh, Lane was traveling around. She used to shortboard on the world tour as well. So there's an event every year that comes to Margaret River. I was 12 years old and my dad was like, let's go to this event because you can get a photo with Lane and, like, she can sign a poster for you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, really excited to see her. So we get down to this event and, like, I see Lane. And, you know, when you're a kid and you see your idol and you, like, almost don't want to go up to them because you can't even believe that they're real and they're there. And you kind of just, you uh-huh. don't even want to talk. Like, you're so nervous, but you, you're almost, like, in awe. Um, yeah. Fuck and so dad's like, go on. Go, 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 you ask her for an autograph. I was like, I don't want to ask it. And um, he's like, go on, ask her. So I went up to her and I was like, can I have your autograph? I was just like shaking in my boots. And she gave me her autograph and she signed a poster and she said, um, to Felicity, set your goals, live your dreams, Lane Beachley. And I was like, okay. So this poster sat framed on my bedside table probably until I was like 17 years old. And 
um, when I was 20, oh, back in 2015 was the year that there was this swell in Western Australia. And at the time I was living on the Gold Coast and I got a message from my friend being like, hey, look, I know you're keen to get into big wave surfing and like give it a crack. There's a swell coming. It's looking like it's a really big one. Um, are you keen? And I was like, far out. Like, I don't want my, to, my introduction into big wave surfing be like this fucking double XL swell. Like I'm not ready for that. I just want like an easy, nice introduction into big wave surfing. I don't want to like go surf my biggest waves like when it's double XL, like biggest swell in 10 years situation. And so I was like, he's like, come on, just come, come over, fly over, come out on the jet ski, have a look. If you want to pat, if you want to um, have a crack, have a crack. And so obviously I like was like, well, fuck, I may as well take, take him up on the opportunity. So I flew over there and ended up catching a few waves and people filmed it. And there was photos circulating on the web. And then people started questioning, like, I think this is actually Broken Lane's record. And so um, my manager at the time called up Lane and he was like, hey, Lane, like, there's speculation that Flick's broken your record. What do you think? And she's like, look, I um, actually saw the photos this morning and Flick's waves are way bigger than mine. So it was just like this crazy moment of like, holy shit, I just broke my childhood, like my childhood hero's record, you know. Um, but that hey, is how that, little, how that went. <laughs> God, you must, I just can't even imagine how you would have been feeling after that, like just so euphoric. Yeah, yeah, euphoric. And my intention when I went to surf those waves, obviously, like I said to you, that was me kind of having an introductory into big wave surfing. That wasn't me going out there with the intention to break Lane's record. Like, I just wanted to go out there and fall back in love with surfing again and, like, hopefully, you know, kind of transition more into big wave surfing. Um, so for it to actually happen and then it was almost just felt, I was a bit in shock actually because that wasn't my intention. But, um, yeah, it's a cool title and a cool record to kind of have. <laughs> and then do you, do you feel like from there you were just like, go, go, go? You were just like, I'm, I'm going to be a fucking big wave surfer now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think – that definitely put a fire in my belly for sure. Um, mm. And I feel like I've always had kind of this more like wild side slash like adrenaline junkie. Uh, and I feel like a little bit like just a bit craziness inside of me that just always wants to have a crack at everything, wants to seize the day. And I feel like that just fired me right up to be like, okay, you can do this, you know. That's fucking awesome, babe. And like <laughs> what – like make someone go pro like what do you have to do do you have to be like signed by someone do you have to like be a certain level like what what is it that yeah makes you a mm, pro so, <laughs> well to be professional at anything I feel like you probably need to be getting paid that's what my yeah. sort of definition would be of it so I turned pro when I was 17 that's when I first started getting paid um uh and so 17, yeah, was when I turned pro. And I guess, like, you can be a professional surfer um, and still be surfing on. So how shortboarding works, right, is it's much like tennis, how there's, like, a qualifying tour and then there's the world tour. And to make it on the world tour, I meant to make it on the world tour, you have to finish in the top six of the qualifying tour and the top six of the qualifying tour go on to the world tour and the bottom six from the world tour drop off. So that's sort of how it works. In the big wave world tour world, it's a bit different. You actually have to be invited to compete on the big wave world tour and that goes off um, previous waves you surf because usually when there's a big swell event, there's always people there filming it. There's always there people taking photos of it because it's just like it's an amazing event and it always is captured. So more often than not, if you're a big wave surfer, you're getting filmed doing it. So you have content of yourself um, surfing these big waves and you submit it then to like a board of people and then they say, yes, like we're going to select Flick to compete on the big wave world tour this year because she currently holds the record for the biggest wave surfed by an Aussie female. She's surfed here. She surfed this wave, this big wave spot. So that's it works a little bit differently for the big wave world tour. Hectic. And... What about like, what do you reckon the scariest moment you ever had surfing would be? Oh, Um, I mean, I could talk about sharks, but I didn't think that that was my scariest moment. But I think a lot of other people would be like, what the fuck? What do you mean sharks? 
<laughs> um, yeah, what, what do you mean sharks? <laughs> um, and it wasn't like a scary moment. To me, it honestly was a moment of, wow, like that's an amazing fish. Um, <laughs> probably not the reaction most people would have, but anyway. Um, no. <laughs> yes. So uh, I've had lots of shark uh, experiences, I guess, especially growing up in Western Australia. There's a lot of men in grey suits getting around in the water. And, yeah, I guess when I was 12 years old was probably my first uh, and probably more intense shark experience. But to be honest, I'm totally, I'm not scared by it now. Um, I was 12 years old. I was surfing with my dad. It was just us two in the water. It was really early one morning and I had caught a wave and I was paddling back out through the channel, which is the deep part um, of the break where no waves break, right? So I was paddling using the channel to paddle back out. Um, and my dad started paddling towards me and my dad never paddles in. He always catches a wave in. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Why is dad paddling towards me? And he was like, just turn around and paddle straight in. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, just turn around and paddle straight in. Don't kick. And I was like, what do you mean don't kick? He's like, look, he's like, there's a shark right in front of you. I didn't want to say anything. And I just like lifted my head up and right in front of me was this big, uh, school of salmon fish and then right as I looked up this big bronze whaler shark launched in the air like and call these fish I was like holy shit (laughs) and it was literally only three meters away from me yeah because we get salmon season in western Australia which means that there's a lot of salmon really active um, up and down the west Australian coastline and so there's these big schools of salmon and bronze whalers feed on salmon so Anyway, I looked up and there was a big bronze whaler shark like probably three metres in front of me and I was like, holy shit, kind of just like taking it in though as in like, wow, this is actually an amazing moment as well. Um, but Dad was like, just turn around, don't kick too much, don't act like you're a dying fish. And I, I, don't know, I feel like my dad always like seems to say the worst things in like the worst situations. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we just started paddling in and um, yeah, we got onto the beach and this beach in particular in Western Australia, you can have cars drive on the beach. And I remember a fisherman, he was in his car and he um, drove, up to his, drove up to us and he was like, man, I'd, I'd been watching that uh, school of salmon out there and that shark for a long time. I was wondering why you guys were paddling out there. And I was like, thanks, mate. You could have said like, hey, there's, some, it's like, there's a big school of salmon and there's a big bronze whaler shark smashing it like before we went out. Like, thanks Literally. for the up, mate. <laughs> oh, my God, that's fucked. Yeah, yeah. I don't but, know how um, you're like so cool, calm, and collective about that. I would fucking die. I'd never go in the ocean again. <laughs> oh, I think, uh, honestly, uh, there's been a lot of things in my life that have happened since that moment. Um, I was a bit rattled after it, obviously, but I think um, you know, I drive in a car every single day, and like all it takes is just not even myself to do something stupid, but someone else to drive drunk or smash into me and like lose concentration for a second and I I just think I can't live my life in fear and like <laughs> this is me getting a bit deep right now but like I'm just not going to live my life in fear and just to make the most of every opportunity because fuck you never know what's around the corner. <laughs> 100% no I think I think that's super important um mm-hmm. and what about like you said what your scariest moment was that mm. I mean what would that actually what, what would it be seeing as this the sharks don't scare you you fucking sicko. <laughs> yeah, I'm not scared of sharks. Um, <laughs> look, if there was probably a great white coming straight towards me, yeah, I'd be a little bit scared. Um, so scariest moment for me, oof. Um, well, okay, this is, yeah, I'd say there's been a few in big wave moments, big wave situations, but um, if I had to put it down to one, I was actually 16. Like I've always had a crack when the waves have gotten bigger and, you know, this was, it wasn't massive surf, but it was big enough. So it was probably 10 to 15 foot. Um, and I don't know what that is in metres because surfing we always measure things in foot. But anyway, 10 to 15 foot, yeah, Google it. Um, and I was surfing this wave in Hawaii called Waimea Bay and I had caught a few waves out there. I was really happy with my surf. Um, I was actually... Over there at the time, um, I was sponsored by Billabong for 16 years and I was with Billabong at this time on like a trading camp and our team manager at the time was out there in the surf with us. Um, he surfed pretty well and he was surfing uh, out at Waimea with us this way. Anyway, so I was like, yeah, I'm pretty happy with my surf. I've caught a few big waves and 
I reckon I'm ready to come in. So next wave I catch, I, I'll go in on it. Anyway, so when the way uh, the ocean works is when waves come through, they come through in a set. So it's like that's what you how you describe a group of waves. It's called a set of waves. So a set of waves starts coming through and now I've learnt this really. Um, you don't usually go the first wave of the set because usually there's a lot of bigger ones behind that. So anyway, I paddle for the first wave of the set and I actually miss it. So I didn't catch it. And I turned around on my board and I saw that there was massive ones behind it, like 15 foot waves. And I was like, shit. And um, I was caught inside. That's what you call it. So I was going to have to bail my board off to the side and just like dive under these 15 foot waves. And I remember as I bailed the board um, and I was underwater, the board hit me in the back of the head and I was knocked unconscious. Um, no. And that's super, super dangerous because if you get knocked unconscious underwater, you take in water, you'll die. Like it's it's really, really um, – so basically I got a concussion. I was underwater, I knocked unconscious. And the next thing I remember, um, it was all black and <laughs> – sounds cliche, starry – but black and ha- like hazy. Um, and I was just like floating up the top, um, floating. The set had obviously gone past and I was just floating kind of like a little bit lifeless in the water. And I remember hearing screaming and noises next to me and I was like, what, what's going on? Um, and my team manager at the time was paddling over towards me. He's like, Flick, Flick, are you okay? Are you okay? And I just remember just, uh, and then slightly, like obviously I came to it a bit more um, and he just like, put me on top of my board broke as well. So my board snapped in half um, and he put me on the half of the board that was there and then he paddled me in into shore. Um, and then, yeah, uh, that was probably the, the probably one of the heavier moments that I've ever had. It, it's weird because since then I've obviously surfed waves that are a lot bigger and a lot more dangerous, um, but it just goes to show that it doesn't matter what size the wave is, it, all it takes is like a silly little knock somewhere in your head and, you, you know, it's all over. So it's just a nice reminder that things can happen anywhere at any time. Totally. Oh, babe, that's fucking terrifying. I'm like, mm, yeah. how, do you, how do you even, ugh, just like wicked <laughs> me out. So when, so yeah, so like how often are you surfing now that you're not like, I don't know, not like. Training all the time. Yeah. Mm, and competing, yeah. So. Like for me, um, surfing, when I first started surfing, was never about competing. It was always about the lifestyle and the relationship that I had with my dad because my dad was like the person who introduced me to surfing. So it was all about like our relationship that we had and what we did and the lifestyle of surfing itself. Not, I didn't start surfing because I wanted to compete. I started surfing because I fell in love with the ocean. Um, So I still like try and get in the water as much as I can. To be honest, recently I have, like, I have been surfing recently now, but the last kind of, or up until two, three weeks ago, I wasn't surfing at all, but oh, we'll get to that. But that's, um, like, I was just, I, I really just needed to really just be with my family. But, um, like, now I, I try and get in the water as much as possible. And if there is any big swells or big waves, like, obviously I'll still go and surf that because I still have that drive and that, like, kind of determination and, like, I want to chase that adrenaline so if there is an opportunity to surf big waves I'll be there I'll be surfing out there but I'm just not competing um and yeah yeah, so yeah still surfing all the time (laughs) hectic oh my god and then so obviously you've just been in Survivor and (laughs) I feel like I have so many questions around this so like Firstly, like, how did you, did you audition? Did you get scouted for it? Mm, mm, okay. Um, so I actually got, I hit up on Instagram, actually. Um, asking, it. I was a producer just asking if I've ever thought about um, auditioning for Australian Survivor. And my actual response was, yeah, I have actually. It's the only show I've ever wanted to audition for or ever cast for. I just, I always just love the whole challenge of it and not only the physical challenge the mental challenge and I just thought if there was ever a show this would be the one for me so that's yeah uh, that's how it happened um I obviously went through the whole casting process which is intense and you would know that um it's just uh, I'm not someone who does paperwork my like but 
holy moly, I have never filled out so much paperwork in my life. <laughs> I know, it's so um, intense. You like have to, what, in like Bachelor, you had to get like every fucking STD check under the sun and like your bloods <laughs> and all of this. We still have to do that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they just yeah. legally have to do it. So, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and how long from like auditioning until you like heard back that you were successful getting in? Oh, like four months probably. Oh, no. Wait, hang on. Yeah, probably four months, three months. So oh, it was shit. like, so they really plan it f- like quite far out. Yeah, yeah, and then there had been some people who were actually confirmed for the season. So there was actually the year that COVID the, uh, was it two thousand and twenty. That was when COVID first happened, right? So they'd scheduled in a survivor season, but obviously that didn't go, that didn't run. So they there were some people that had already been casted, and then they were they had known for like a year and however long that they were going to be on the show. Um, I was obviously casted end of 2020. So, um, yeah, I wasn't one of the people who had been waiting so long. But, yeah, pretty crazy to be in that kind of limbo world for so long, knowing that you're confirmed. But, yeah, just so much anxiety, I guess, and anticipation for what's ahead. Totally, totally. It's like a whole, like, pause on your entire life and all that jazz. Mm. And how Mm. long, obviously, you got, like, you know, you came third in it like um how long were you actually filming for uh so right I got right to the end I finished third uh which I'm really proud of um Fucking considering oh, congratulations. <laughs> thank you um considering everything that I went through I um but the whole process probably took over two oh, almost three months actually I was probably away from home for three months so what happened, anyone that was interstate had to fly into Queensland two weeks prior to the show filming just so that um, just to be in Queensland, just in case there was an outbreak in WA and then I couldn't come to Queensland. So, yeah, I'd already been um, in Queensland for two weeks and then there was like another week kind of little lockdown in uh, Kwankari, which is out where Survivor was filmed, and then the actual filming of the show itself. So three weeks prior six probably like nine weeks almost the whole thing was um wow. so yeah that long it's a long time yeah yeah it's a long time away um from home and I see it's, it's long it's long but it also goes really quickly and I knew the whole time during the experience that I'd be sitting here now wishing that I was actually it's so weird for me to even say this but I, I do miss it I miss how simple everything was out there I miss not this sounds really weird, but I do miss sometimes not having any responsibilities, just being, you know, obviously you're strategizing and you're talking, uh, yeah, about strategy a lot, but there's a lot of downtime where you really do, and you would understand this when I say this, but you have become so close to these people. Like there's people in there that I would say I feel like I've known for 20 years because you have no other responsibilities, no distractions. You're fully invested in these people and it's so nice. You're not distracted by your phone. Like you feel like for me, and I pride myself on that, but I really feel like I um, developed such strong relationships with the people that I became close with. Yeah, I I 100%. Um, agree with that and yeah you do it, it's even like when you're traveling overseas like when I was younger backpacking and stuff and like not having internet everywhere that you were like you have such better conversations with people and you really get to know people in a different way so 100% mm. like understand that would have been like that did you mm. did you get to like in bachelor we could call our parents like once a fortnight did, were you allowed to call any family members or anything <laughs> while you're in there no, no, not at all. So no contact to the outside world whatsoever. Don't know what day it is, what date it is, what time it is. Um, just really to get uh, your anxiety really? going. And yeah, no, no, no perception of anything really. And to me, honestly, I bloody enjoyed that. But um, so like we spoke about it before we started um, recording but like while I was out there my mum passed away and yeah I obviously I got told that news um which is and I got to speak to my family all on the phone um which I'm so grateful for um of course they were going Mm. to let me do that too you know um Mm. so yeah I I did get access to a phone to speak to my family my loved ones and that that was actually amazing because Jesus like 
it honestly, I've never, I've never, ever, ever pushed myself through something so hard in my life. Um, so yeah, yeah, to have that contact back home was amazing. <laughs> yeah, you probably really <clears throat> needed it. And mm-hmm. how how was that for you? Like being so far away and you know making the decision to stay on and not fly home and all of that. Like that mm-hmm. would have been such mm-hmm. a big, big decision for you. Yeah, I'll um, so I'll give you a bit of insight onto how I came to that decision and what my mum was actually diagnosed with. So my mum was diagnosed six years ago. She was, well, yeah, 46 when she was diagnosed and she was diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia, which is a different type of dementia. And back then, I was so young, I was probably only, that makes me 22. So I was 22 when mum was diagnosed and um, I wasn't even aware that younger people could have dementia right so my mum was obviously early onset um and that was really hard for me to deal with back then I um it was hard for me to talk about it I felt very alone um because like a lot of other people that are my age haven't experienced this and anyone that has experienced losing a loved one to dementia will understand me when I say that you grieve that person's passing while they're still alive like it's very very odd but the relationship I had with my mum changed so drastically in those six years, especially in the last three. Um, she deteriorated so fast that in the last three years she was in a high-care facility. Like she couldn't shower or feed herself. She was nonverbal, so I couldn't talk to her. Um, and it, it, her pain and suffering was horrendous. Like it is such a terrible disease. And um, so for me – like how I came to the decision I did was like, it was not an easy decision. I'll tell you that much. Like I, it was so incredibly difficult uh, to make this decision. But so once I got the news that my mum had passed away, I, um, I actually, I got the option to, I could have left the game for 24 hours to really make up my mind um, on what I wanted to do. And I, um, could have access to a phone and talk to as many people as I wanted to really get a clear kind of um, to really clear my mind on what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but I decided that I wasn't going to leave. I What happened is I had a really amazing conversation with my family, like my two brothers, Luke and Alex, my grandma and my auntie. And um, they all said to me, like, y- your mum would want you to stay and, you know, by me staying and continuing in the game, it was honouring the very reason that I wanted to play Survivor in the first place because my very reason for playing, not only has my mum been really sick for the last six years, but I've also had other family members who are really sick, which has made me realise that like nothing in life is guaranteed and that you have to make the most of every opportunity. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like they've really, my parents both have really drilled this into me, but it, those recent health events have made me realise that and that was my re- very reason for playing in the first place. So I feel like I knew that my family wanted me to stay and I knew that by staying I was honouring, like, my reason for playing and, like, the philosophy that my parents has, have always both taught me as well, you know, to, like, seize the day sort of and and make the most of every opportunity. And so that's how I came to that decision but... Once I had made that decision, like, and I still stand by it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my decision. But I, I tell you right now, like, it was, like, it, I don't even. I'm still processing it now. Like, mm. uh, I think what happened is I went into shock, and I compartmentalized extremely well. I, yeah. you know, obviously I had my meltdowns. I was having a meltdown every single day. Like, I'm thousands of kilometers away from my family and that's all I ever wanted um and then to keep progressing through the game the way I did like Jesus it that was hard too like I was experiencing like s- such crazy emotions on both extremes like extreme highs and extreme lows and like my body I feel like after once I got back um and like Survivor had finished like I honestly had nothing left like I was empty like completely empty my cup was empty I couldn't even I had nothing to give like and I and I still now I'm only just I wouldn't even say I'm close to being my 100% myself again um and I'm that's okay like I'm okay with that but um 
you know, at, right now it's for me, it's just about prioritizing myself, my mental health and my well-being, and um, yeah. like me first and then just making sure that I'm okay because if I'm okay, then I can, you know, look after other people. And But um, one thing I will add too is that like I was really nervous around the decision that I had made to stay because I was so nervous when that airs on TV. Like not only did I experience this, but now the whole of Australia is going to experience this with me and they're going, now I open myself up to their opinions and mm. like and not everyone is it. going to understand. Yeah, and that too. And that was extremely difficult, extremely mm. difficult. Um, and then obviously I was so nervous that people might not be able to understand the reason I made and just be like, oh, my God, she's a fucking bitch. Like she, you know, her mum was, her mum had died and she didn't go home. Like, but like they haven't walked a mile in my shoes. They don't know my story completely. Like it's, it's so hard. I was so nervous that I was going to get so much hate, but quite the opposite happened. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because the internet can be a bad place and it can also be a good place as you know that too. And I totally, I think um, for me, the thing that uh, the hardest thing for me to do, but like I was just so vulnerable with everything. And I feel like for it, it was the way to connection and to being authentic with yourself. Like you have to be vulnerable to be authentic. And I think it's by you being vulnerable or like by me being vulnerable, it's, it was allowing other people to open up and share their stories. And it also made other people feel like they weren't alone because I know that I I received thousands of messages from so many people. Like, and it's so beautiful. Like saying that how my story resonated with them and that they felt so alone because like I said before, this disease hasn't been, there's not much research done on it and there's a lot of people don't know that young people can be diagnosed with early onset dementia. And so even just for me knowing that, okay, like my decision and my trauma, like it wasn't for nothing. Like it is, it, you know, it, of course it wasn't for nothing. Like I'm proud of it, but like it's, uh, I know now that it's also helping all these other people, um, you know, even though it was really messy and it was raw, like um, I think, yeah, I'm happy with that decision. I'm happy that, to know that it's helping other people. Oh, yeah. Babe, you're making me cry. I'm like, <laughs> just I can't even imagine, yeah. like, how fucked that would have been. Like, I just, I cannot, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, I get how isolating it is to be in filming to begin with, but let alone mm-hmm. Losing someone when you're isolated like that, it, that's just like a whole nother level of it. And then like reliving it and having this mm. fear, like I just, I'm honestly like you should be so proud of yourself for like everything you've done and like where you're at now. Like it's going to take time and at least mm. you're doing the right steps to get there, you know. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think one thing I will add, I, I think also is that I was like blown away by the support, like so. Animal Shine um, do Survivor, and their support not only through the show, but like afterwards has been incredible. Like obviously, we have access to psychologists, and um, you know, and it's it's for me. Like I have I've, I've had as much support or as little as I've wanted, and I've I've been making the most of all of that support, and it and even just the support of the people that were producing, like the producers of the show, I. Not that I didn't think it would be good, but I was blown away with how good it was. Like, there's people in there that, honestly, I, I they just took me in as if like the love I received from people was amazing, and I, and even my own tribe mates, <laughs> my tribe mates. That sounds so like primal. <laughs> sounds so weird, um, but yeah, yeah, it does. But <laughs> that's what they were. Um, my other <laughs> castaways, um, they were just incredible, and I think. One thing, like, it was so devastating to, like, go through that moment, but it also was such an intimate moment and it bonded us even stronger than what we ever could have thought, I think, as well. Totally. Totally. And, like, you know, people do forget that as well. Like, even, like, you know, you do form quite close bonds with the producers and stuff too and, like, you know, you don't see them on camera, but, fuck, you're speaking to them for hours and hours on end. So, like, that's just incredible that you got that support um, because I yeah. know that that, you know, that wasn't really the case for me. So, I'm glad to hear that mm. you got that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I um, got it. Yeah, I, I, I was actually blown away. I was. I really was and I still am. So, yeah, it's um, 
it's been good. Oh, babe, I'm so fucking like <laughs> proud of you and just, I don't know, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Like, fuck, even just like how far you got in the game, like your family must just be so proud of you. It's just su- such a, like you've just already kicked so, like, fuck, if if being a pro <laughs> surfer wasn't enough of an achievement in life, let alone fucking getting third in Survivor. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, babe. Well, I mean, let's go on a few, like, lighter Survivor topics. Okay. So, <laughs> do people hook up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, um, let's go, let's go, fucking sexual. Okay, okay, let's go sexual. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm very. There's been other. So in our season, no, there was no hooks up, hookups. I wish I had some juicy gloss there. I wish I could be like, yeah, these people were hooking up. Now you know. <laughs> but um, honestly, <laughs> there wasn't in our season. Everyone had partners, um, so there was no hooking up going on. But in previous that previous seasons yeah for sure and like I think in our season there wasn't any of those kind of storylines where there was two people that were a power couple or whatever um but previous seasons I know that there's um Mark and Samantha who I forget what season they were on what number it was but I know that they're now like together they've got children but they were casted on the same season of Survivor yeah yep so and and if if like let's Let's say like your like your group situation was different and like people didn't have partners, like where could you bone if you wanted to? <laughs> um, so uh <laughs> it'd be pretty hard if you wanted to get it on. Um I think you just the other thing is is that you couldn't really do it because like <laughs> part of the rules with playing Survivor is that you won't, uh, like, have sexual relations with other people. Um, mm. Of course, there's people that are, like, drawn to other people and whatever, but um, can you imagine if, let's just say I didn't have a, let's just use, let's just say I didn't have a partner and I was going yeah. around sleeping with all these different people. Of course I'm going to be aligned with them. Of course they're not going to vote me out because they're going to be like, um, we're not voting Flick out because we're getting some from Flick. So, I think that it would be quite an unfair advantage if they allowed people to bone. So, um, I just be I just be the <laughs> camp ho so that I don't get kicked out of Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it would be hard to do it. I mean, you probably could, and people have probably tried, but yeah. And what about like showering? Sh- no showering. No way. There's no showers. There's no luxury items. There's no toothpaste. So, do you there's no shampoo. toothpaste. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> no. Wait. What? So, okay. what about like? What about when you get your period and like? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you want to use a bit no. of extra. <laughs> nah. So the only things you get like get access to is um, well, obviously tampons or pads if you're a woman. Um, yeah, yep. sunscreen, mosquito repellent, and toilet paper. Um, you have no luxury items. You have no toothbrush, no toothpaste, no moisturizer, no hair products, no hair brushes, no showers. People think that when we go on Survivor that, oh, it's like all a facade and then we go home at night and sleep in these hotels. Like I can tell you right now that we are sleeping in the dirt on rocks and it's uncomfortable and you're freezing cold at night. You're feeling dirty 24-7. Like, I had a permanent line because you, you're wearing shoes like all the time in closed shoes. So up above from my sock line where my socks were, like I couldn't tell if I was tanned or if that was just like an accumulation of dirt. And when I got like out of Survivor, I had to, it took me like three to four showers and serious scrubbing and exfoliating and I figured out that it wasn't a freaking t- – obviously I was tan, but not that tan. Like it was actually – just this thick layer of dirt that is accumulated around all of my legs. Like it was just no. like you can um, – there was a billabong that we had at the back of our – like around the back from our shelter and people were um, swimming in the billabong to like – and I was too every day. I would go and swim in the billabong um, and it was fresh water. But there's not nothing not, – it honestly is tough. It is tough. And you're freezing at night, like I said, like – People are all spooning at night to stay warm just for body warmth. Like if you don't, you will freeze and you will not be – you won't sleep. 
and then the days are just brutal. The days are so hot, you know. Um, it's so, like does anyone first. have like fucking bo and shit though? Yes, people do. And um, towards the end, though, I feel like I I didn't even I couldn't smell myself. But so what happens? Uh, final three get family visits. So um, my partner Mitch and my best mate Kiara, who you've actually met. Um, yeah. They flew over and they got to watch us do the final challenge. And so after the final challenge and after Survivor had finished, I got to see Mitch and Kiara and they were both like, holy shit, dude. Like I didn't want to say anything then, but she was like, Kiara's like, you fucking reeked. She's like, I've never smelled anything like it. Like it was really, really bad. Like really bad. Really? She's like, obviously I just, yeah. Like obviously it was such a crazy moment for me to like see these people I loved after everything I'd been through all I wanted to do was just like be embraced by them she was like I was hugging you but she was like oh my god you fucking stunk no (laughs) yeah so so like so run me through this so you're swimming in the fucking fresh water so if you're swimming in the fresh water are you like giving your vagina a bit of a scrub as well oh yeah of course you are like and like I for me I was someone who was like, I don't care. Like towards the end of the game too, um, it was starting, it was approaching more of winter and it was cold winds in the morning and it wasn't as warm as when we first started. Uh, So I would, regardless of the warmth though, I would still be going for a swim in Harbillabong because you just feel disgusting if you don't. You need to get up in there and wash everything. Like it's just rank if you don't. So, yeah, I'd go in there, I would give all my bits of scrub, I would go under, like, semi, try and exfoliate my skin with the sand or the red dirt, and you just try and do the best you can. But I will tell you one thing is you, after a week of not washing my hair, I feel like it started to create its own oils, and I feel like it was almost, it was okay. Like, if you go back and look through the photos that I posted of Survivor, I was, like, expecting my hair to look a lot worse than what it did, and it actually was okay. So. I yeah, like maybe, I had someone write me a question about your hair going like, how did she keep her hair looking so good? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and yeah, like your no. teeth gunk, like are you there like scratching off your teeth gunk with your nails? You, okay, so because you are usually only eating rations of rice and it's hardly anything, it's like only a small handful of rice per day pretty much. Um what? yeah you get rations on food that's why everyone loses so much weight i lost eight kilos in 47 days yeah yep wow yeah it's crazy i wouldn't recommend a rice diet though it's not that great um especially after so i lost eight kilos in 47 days was it or 46 days and then i put 10 kilos back on in a month my body was in starvation mode when i got home i was like give me all the foods and I like ate everything and I drank everything and just really abused the system. And I, my body was like in starvation mode and just like, was like, and just wanted all the food back for itself. So it just like, I think because it was in starvation mode, it just like chucked on a few extra kilos. So, um, well, so back to the teeth, um, because you're only eating rice, right? Unless you win a food for a reward, um, there's no sugar, there's no other preservatives, there's no crap. Your teeth actually surprisingly are okay. Yes, like it, after a few days, there's like some fur on the teeth and you're like using your shirt to like rub off the fur or like oh. with your – but the other thing we started using, we started using sticks as toothbrushes. So you would pick a green bit of stick off a tree and then like smash the end of the stick with a rock so it's all nice and frayed out um, and then dip, make like a little paste in your hand with a charcoal from the fire then smear that in your teeth and brush your teeth with the stick. Stop it. <laughs> like, no. get absolutely fucked. That is outrageous. No. Like, cable and cable and stuff. Like, no, literally. Like, but it worked. It worked. It worked. It was. Me, it was me being like, does anyone have sex? Like, fuck no. No fucking cheese dick is coming near my pussy in Survivor. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Yeah, I know. I know. It would be bad. So. Unless that guy was getting in that billabong every day, you would not be go. You would not be thinking about it at all. Yuck! Or like, only have sex in the billabong. Yeah, in the billabong in the water. Yeah, literally. I wouldn't even trust that water after a while though, because that water was getting pretty seedy. Like everyone was swimming in it all the time with everyone's body oils. It was like by the end of the time, I was like, Ugh. 
I was still yeah. going in there and swimming every day, but yeah, it was kind of gross. Oh my god! And what about toilet? Did you just dig a hole? No, no, no. For like sanitary reasons and things like there was a um, long drop that was a compostable. What's it called? Composting toilet. There we go. Oh, yeah. the word. They even fucking stink though. <laughs> but I feel like oh, it's so weird. I have a weird perception of it because I was living in it. So I'm like, we didn't even smell that bad. Da, da, da. But I'm sure we fucking did. Dude, so interesting. Like, I've always been like, yeah, I could so do Survivor. But like, hearing this, like, me not being able to fucking shower or like use moisturizer, I think I'd fucking die. And the I also, I, is- I kind of hate rice. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, you'd be screwed. Um, the other thing is, is you have no other option. This is the thing. Like, if someone said to me now, like in normal life, in real life, They'd be like, you can only eat rice for 46 days and that is all you will be eating and you'll be sleeping on dirt and rocks. I'd be like, fuck that, because I have the option to sleep in a bed, whereas out there I didn't have any other option. There was only option A, you know? Totally, totally. Oh, my God, that is so fucked up, babe. Like, I actually can't. (laughs) That just, like, blows my mind because, I I mean, like – in Bachelor, like you can still watch Netflix and stuff, and like you've got your oh, bathroom. Really? You live in like, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can you can't watch the news or like any free to air, but you can still watch Netflix and. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, like you don't have your phones, but like you can. Yeah, it's it's still like this. You can still listen to music and like you like you could bring in a Kindle or a book. So like you could still do those things to help you get through the time. So. Even though there is a lot of downtime, it's like there's still things to keep you entertained. Thank fuck. I just pumped yeah, Lauren orders for you. Wow, that's so good that you guys got to watch things and like I just Yeah, fuck, we just got nothing, eh? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> that's wild. Like absolutely wild. And um into like a bit more of your dating life. So yeah. obviously you have a partner now and you've been with mm-hmm. him for what, two, two years? Yeah, year and a half, almost two years. Yeah, nice. And like previously you were in a, a long-term relationship before that, weren't you? Yeah, so my kind of dating history has been – so I've always – growing up I was really into guys. Um mm-hmm. But then my first actual serious relationship was with a girl um, and we were together for Amazing. a couple of years. Yep. And then, um, and then after that, I was in a relationship with a guy for seven years. Then I broke wow. up with him and now I'm with my current partner. So I've always Fuck's been dude. a girl who's been in like a longer term relationship. But looking yeah. at myself now, like I would definitely say that, Oh, I know people would say, oh, are you bisexual? Um, I'd be like, I honestly don't know about that. I honestly think that I might be pansexual, which is where you fall in love with the person, not the gender. Like I'm never really – it sounds so weird, but like I, I honestly think that's what I am. I, I don't look at a gender and be like, oh, like she's hot or he's hot. Like it honestly is the person for me and yeah. that's how I decide who I'm going to be with. And at the moment, um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's – I don't even know. Um, at the moment, I'm so happy in my relationship. I'm uh, My partner's name is Mitch and he's awesome. He's um, knows my family and we've, been, we've known each other for a long time and we he's so supportive um, and he's kind of like – he's the – like my – what's the word? If I'm going to like give an analogy to our relationship, like I'm the balloon on the string, like doop, like floating away and he's like the string like to the ground so he's like my groundedness kind of thing and it's it's good because I need someone like that who's going to balance out my like (laughs) craziness like everywhere so yeah oh that's amazing though yeah um yeah yeah he's he's good and do you think like because I mean dating a woman for a few years like that's pretty like that's you know like to, I mean, obviously, you we can consider yourself pan, but like, do you do you think you've ever like looked at women since then and like admired them at all? Oh, definitely. Like, this is the other thing. I'm not so. I'm not like. I'm only gonna look at guys. Like, no, I definitely look at women. I'm like, yeah, she's hot. Like, definitely, definitely think that. Mm. And I think that about guys as well. Like, I just have an appreciation for like the human form, not just like guys or girls. I think 
I definitely look at guys, at girls, and think that they're good looking as well. Um, I think it's actually pretty interesting, though, how my first serious relationship was with a girl. Like when I was growing up and I was in high school, like I, I remember going, not even like just out of high school, I remember going to parties and things and being all rebellious and like I would always like maybe be the person who was hooking up with a girl or something, you know, and. I didn't mm. know back then if I was doing it for attention or if it was because I was actually attracted to the girls. Now looking back, I, I probably it probably was a bit of both. Um, mm. But then, you know, then I ended up in a relationship with a girl for two years. So, um, and that, that we'll talk about that for a second. Like that was actually really really hard for me because. Back then, the surfing industry wasn't as accepting as what it is now. So there was no equality in our sport. Um, lesbian relationships weren't accepted. So Those kind of up. comments, yeah, it's fucked. It actually is fucked. And I look back at things that have happened to me when I was younger got in this, within the surf industry and I just honestly can't believe it. But I hid my whole relationship for two years. I didn't touch mm. her. Like we were out. We were, so she actually competed. Um, on the world tour as well and so we were traveling together and I had to hide this and I had to hide who I was in a relationship with like we didn't touch each other I couldn't be affectionate towards her I was always and this is so hard like I was lying about where I was I was lying about where I was living like that is just like oh it's soul destroying it's soul destroying when you can't like express the love for the person like for the person that you love and um in fear that you you know might lose your con your contract or in fear that you might lose um a sponsor or something you know like that is actually fucked and i can't believe i even it's i wish that i had more balls to just own my relationship back then i well bigger ovaries i wish i had bigger ovaries to own my relationship back then i wish i mm. could have but it just mm. wasn't the way our surfing industry was and i'm thank god now that uh governing body of surfing our world surf league there's more you know we have there's more equality within our sport but it wasn't always the way and it took you know a few brave women to, brave women to stand up and really be like no this is completely wrong you know um and I'm grateful for those people because they honestly have paved the way for me now even to be sitting here and having this conversation with you and talking openly about it because this wasn't something I even spoke about openly probably until like two years ago like not even like wow. a year and a half ago yeah because it just and I just can't even believe I thought like that but now like oh god yeah I just can't believe it do you feel like that you know is that kind of what like made it hard to continue the relationship in the end because of all of the you know that, that you mm. couldn't be open about it I definitely think that was a contributing factor but the thing was is I was so young. I was, sorry, if I was like 18. Oh, so like, I was like 18. I'd moved out of home. I'd left Western Australia. We were living together in Sydney. Um, and I was a baby. And she was definitely like my, like one of my first loves for sure. Um, mm. But she was a lot, of, she was like, how many years older than me? She, I want to say she was like seven or 10 years older than me. So, no, she was 10. So she was 10 years older than me. So she was in a different stage of her life and like wanted different things. And what happened with us is that I honestly had the thought come through my head that, holy shit, like, am I never going to sleep with a guy again? And as soon as that thought came into my head, I was like, oh my God, I just couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't shake this thought that I was never going to be with a guy again intimately. And it was mm. so hard for me because I was just so in love with her, like as the person. But sexually, I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is just like just – and, like, being so young and it kind of being your first love and, like, oh, it was just like, yeah. I, I like, I honestly think too, like, and then once that happened, like, we started – our relationship started to deteriorate and then I went and, like, slept with someone else and obviously I shouldn't have done that. And mm. – but, yeah, I, I, like, I, I, I was too young and – like we wanted different things and as soon as just sexually it wasn't there anymore and I guess yeah. I just wanted to sleep with a guy again. Yeah. No, and that's so fair enough and like the pressure you would have had like 
at like such a young age as well. Like that's so difficult and not being like to yeah. have a completely secret, secretive well, relationship for two years. Like yeah. that's, that would have been so difficult. So yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. blame you for like, like questioning. Yeah. I even like kept it a secret. Like my parents, well, up until my mum was still alive, like, they both, they know now, like everyone knows obviously, but I kept it even from like, my mum was the first person I told that I was in a relationship with a girl um, and my mum has always been so accepting. Like, I don't know why I was so nervous to do it, but I just told her. And she was like, ah, yeah, I don't care. Date whoever you want. And that was just so nice to have someone who was just so open and loving and um, just it didn't matter. Like, how like, like it, it was just nice to have someone like that in my life. And then it took me probably like another eight months to tell my dad because there was so much, pr- there's just pressure, pressure from the industry, pressure. Yeah, it, was, it just was. Being that young and having that much pressure on yourself, it's just, it's, it's fucked. Yeah, it's bloody, I just can't, yeah, I feel like you've um, bloody been through the ringer doll. You've, ha- you've had a lot <laughs> of life experiences. So, you know, I feel like that that's incredible in itself to shape you, <clears throat> shape you who you are today, you know. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think. Like, I mean, we're only, like, this is funny, like, I don't know how long we've been talking for, just, like, for a while. But, like, there's so much more, obviously, to everyone's story, and there's a lot more to mine. But I just think, like, fuck, like, I'm going to, I don't know, these experiences have shaped me into the person I am today, and, like, they provided me with a lot of um, perspective. And um, it's been, you know, it's been hard. It's been super hard and there's been a lot of growth. There's been a lot of change and especially in the last kind of couple of months, like kind of going through a bit of a metamorphosis, I reckon. But um, mm. I think the, the, by doing the hard things, like the only way you grow and, um, yeah, I guess like experience like quite a bit of pain in the last sort of couple of months. But one thing, like I remember I read something somewhere and it was, about like a quote, like, you know, there's either pain that uses you or pain that you use. And I definitely feel like, especially in the last couple of months, I've definitely been channeling that, like just channeling all that. Mm. It's just pain, you know, and just channeling that in a good way, using it in a good way. And I feel like I have been successful at that. Oh, that's amazing, babe. Oh, you're (laughs) a fucking legend and I adore (laughs) you. And it has been so nice to like have a proper catch up with you. So, Thank you so much for coming on today. I just, it's just been great. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, we're oh. going to have to have a phone call so I can catch up on your life because I feel like <laughs> this has been more so about me. So anyway, but thank you so much for having me. No. We will need another phone call so you can give me the, uh, the download on your life. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Oh, well, thanks so much, Flick. And um, I can't wait to launch this episode and for everyone to hear your story because I think it's really special and really, really moving. So, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me, Kat, and I'll speak to you soon. Sounds thanks, everyone, good. for listening. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Cats Out of the Bag is proudly part of the Acast Creator Network. Special shout out to Rode Microphones for powering this episode. Hi.